gotten to know Gary and Megan through this process, one of the fun things that we're able to share with him as a committee is this church's heart for missions and this church's heart for the gospel. Our goal, as you know, for this combined admissions offering is $175,000. And we know that by God's grace, uh, we will uh, give as we can, sacrificially and joyfully, and Lord willing, meet that goal. And it's been really neat to be able to connect with the, the Hendricksons about that offering because their heart is for the gospel. As we've met with many different, talked to different candidates and looked at many different resumes, I can tell you that Gary's heart is passionate for Jesus Christ and it is passionate about evangelism. And we believe that God has brought the Hendricksons here uh, to our church and we are uh, excited about uh, affirming that this evening. If you will, please turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. As you turn, I just want to make mention of one thing. Many of you know Miss Annabelle Hughes uh, at our church all the time. Miss Annabelle Hughes just turned 100 years old and yesterday had a celebration here in the parlor. I don't know if Miss Hughes is in this service or not today. She's not. But that is an accomplishment. What a, what a grace of God that, that she's 100 years old. And we were driving home last night and uh, Jackson was with me up here for a little bit. And he's like, man, I just met the first person who's 100 years old ever. So... That's, that's pretty incredible. That's really neat. First uh, John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. You know, statistics tell us that nearly 65% of all Christians will at some point in their life battle doubt. They'll battle some assurance issues. They'll wonder if what they believe is true. Now, sometimes it's more severe than others. It could be very, very, uh, you know, a, a short period of time where they're struggling with this. Or for some, it's, it's, it's lengthened. It's a long process where they're just struggling to know, is what I believe true? Or am I really saved? I wonder if any of you have felt that way. I wonder if any of you have ever struggled with the assurance of salvation. I wonder if any of you are struggling with that right now. Am I really saved? Does God really love me? Will God really forgive me? And let me just say, if that's you today, I have good news for you. Because one of the primary purposes that John wrote this epistle, the epistle we call 1 John, was to give believers assurance of salvation. He wrote that we might know. Over and over we read that statement, that phrase in this in this letter, I write so that you might know. In fact, we've titled the series through 1 John, that you might know. John's great desire is to give struggling Christians assurance. And he does so by focusing attention on who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. Now, it makes sense that as we read this passage, as we have this entire letter thus far, to look introspectively. But again, John's purpose is not to cause us to doubt our salvation or to heap guilt on anyone here, because we know that in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he wants those who believe in the name of the Son of God to be confident that they have eternal Life. So we're going to study this passage today, and we're going to do so focusing on the concept of assurance. Would you stand? We're going to read together 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 29. 1 John chapter 3, excuse me, beginning in verse 19 and reading through verse 24. 
By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from Him, because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as He has commanded us. Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God, and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given us. Let's pray together. Lord, we come now ready to hear from You. We come now ready to receive from You. We ask that Your Spirit in these moments would speak to us, would give us grace, would comfort us, would reassure us, would convict us, would encourage us, would draw us to Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be glorified in the way that we give attention to what you say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, as we begin, uh, I want us to just recognize that this topic of assurance is a difficult topic for some. So I want to set the context. Uh, Don Whitney wrote a book, How Can I Know That I'm a Christian? He, he gave three statements that we're going to kind of summarize what we're going to talk about today, okay? Three statements, statements of condition for how uh, people view this entire thing or how we can understand what it means uh, to be a Christian or to struggle with assurance. His first statement is this. It is possible and common for genuine believers in Jesus Christ to experience the assurance of salvation. It is common and it is possible for people who are believers, for Christians, to experience assurance of salvation. In other words, you're a Christian, you're following Christ, and you are confident in that. You don't struggle with doubt. That is a common thing and it is possible, right? Secondly, it is possible and not uncommon for a non-believer, for someone who is not a Christian, to experience false assurance of salvation. So what he's saying there is this. There are people out there who are not Christians, but live like everything's okay. There are people out there who are not connected to God through faith in Jesus Christ, yet they are confident that they're fine and that when they die, they're going to be in heaven and they don't have anything to worry about. It's a second category of people. And then the third category of people... What Whitney states is this. It is possible and not uncommon for genuine believers to experience doubt and lack assurance. So what he's saying is there might be people in this room who are Christians. They're genuine Christians. But they struggle. They wonder. Am I really saved? Does God really love me? Am I going to be okay in the end? So, a genuine believer, but struggling with this idea of the assurance of salvation. Now, we're going to dive into these shortly. But as we've seen in this study, assurance of salvation is the privilege of every genuine follower of Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians, we can have confidence that we are in Christ and that our eternal future is secure. However... 
that assurance is oftentimes jeopardized by our own sinfulness. It's oftentimes jeopardized because, um, because we are pursuing things that are opposed to righteousness. And we're going to see, too, there's a lot of different reasons why genuine believers can doubt salvation. Because the, because the Spirit is at war. And we are in a spiritual war. And Satan wants to confuse us, and we're going to see that in just a few moments. But I want us to start this morning by looking at the heart. So we're going to look at the heart. Look with me at verse 19 again. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before Him. Him there is God. So in verses 19 through 21... Uh, the Apostle John uses the Greek term cardia, which means heart. And you can hear that, right? Cardiac, cardia, heart. John uses that term four times. He's talking about reassuring the heart or condemning the heart. Now, at times in Scripture, the art does refer to this muscle in our chest, right? This organ in our chest. But here it refers to the seat of the human will. It refers to our inner being, our inner self. The heart refers to the inner being or the inner self, friends. Now, it's used of the entirety of a person, body, soul, and mind. We can understand this. We can understand this. We see it with a, with a student who's working really hard or an athlete who's, who's giving it everything he has. What do we say? Man, he's really committed. He, he puts his whole heart into it. Everything he or she has, it's moving in that direction. It speaks of the entirety of the person, the inner being, the essential self. James, in James chapter 1, verse 26, writes, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart... This person's religion is worthless. Now, when he says when he deceives his heart, he's not talking about this thing that's pumping right here. He's talking about himself, the inner person. He is deceiving himself. Jesus, in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, says that what comes out of the heart is what defiles a person. Well, what comes out of the heart? Blood. Blood's coming out. But Jesus isn't talking about how our blood is defiling us. He's talking about what comes out of who we are. He's talking about our sin nature. He's talking about how this corrupts us and defiles us. He's talking about the essential being of a person. So the heart represents the inner self, but we have to understand that because of sin, the heart is rendered untrustworthy. Because of sin... The heart is rendered untrustworthy. The prophet Jeremiah speaks, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is it's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? And yes, well, those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ have been born again, have been made new creations. Our minds are still affected with sin. We still have sin habits, so we cannot fully trust our own judgment on things. In areas of subjectivity, our judgment is not perfect. We have blind spots. Every one of us has experienced this who drives. You're driving down the road and, and you 
put your blinker on because you're a good driver and you're going to come across and you hear that horn behind you and you swerve back over and you kind of look because you didn't really give a clear look. Why? Because there's a blind spot and someone was in your blind spot, whether it's the shape of the car or the placement of your mirrors or whatever it is, you couldn't see well. It was a blind spot. And this is what we see with the heart. There are spiritual blind spots. In fact, Psalmist David in Psalm 139 writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart, know my inner being, know myself, know me fully, know who I am, is what he's saying. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, David is suggesting that we all have spiritual blind spots And that we need God's spirit to see ourselves clearly. Which leads us to the next thought here, friends. Only God can accurately diagnose or judge the heart. Only God can accurately diagnose or judge the heart. The Apostle Paul would agree with this. The letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth in in many ways or... Uh, is, is meant to defend his apostolic ministry against people who are questioning him and teaching heresy, okay? And in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, uh, beginning of verse 1, he writes, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. So stewards are to be faithful, Christians are servants of God and to be found faithful in stewarding the mysteries of God. And this is what he says. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, Paul says, I do not even judge myself. Verse 4. For I am not aware of anything against me, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. We might be really confident We might have a lot of assurance in something. But our view is skewed. Our view is skewed because sin has rendered the heart ultimately untrustworthy. And ultimately only God knows us and judges the heart. So back to verse 19. Paul writes, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. Now to be of the truth is... Code language pointing to the fact that we are followers of Jesus Christ, the one who is the truth, who is the way, the truth, and the life. We are in Christ. We are Christians. We are followers of Him. By this, we will know that we are of the truth. Well, what is it by this? I think by this here is pointing us to what he previously wrote. That's where we've been the last few weeks. We've been talking about how obedience matters, right? How those who are pursuing righteousness, who are practicing righteousness, not that they're perfect, and those who love one another, these are the ways that we will know that we are of the truth. When we are living a life characterized by the pursuit of truth, by the pursuit of righteousness, and when we are, an aspect of that, loving one another. When we exhibit this selfless love for one another, as God has loved us, we are to love others. Danny Aiken wrote a commentary on 1 John, also the president of the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, suggests that the path to experiencing assurance is through obedience and love. The path to experiencing assurance of salvation is through obedience and love. Now note, he's not saying that the path to salvation is through uh, obedience and love. 
He's not saying if you just obey enough and if you just love enough, then you're going to merit God's salvation. Friends, we're saved by God's grace alone. There's nothing that anyone in this room could do to earn God's favor or to merit God's forgiveness or to get eternal life. We can't do it. We can never be good enough. John's talking about assurance, the subjective feeling that we are safe in Christ. And he's saying the path to assurance comes through obedience and love. Through obedience and love. Now, so with that set kind of as the main context for this passage, I just want to ask two simple questions of the text, okay? First question. What shall we do when our hearts condemn us? What shall we do when our hearts condemn us? That is, when we don't feel at ease before God, when we're not certain, when we struggle, when we're doubting, when we don't feel confident in a relationship with God. What should we do? The first thing, we should examine ourselves. We should examine ourselves. Genuine Christians can experience doubt and lack of assurance for several reasons. One of those reasons, friends, is because we have weak faith and we are doubting God's promises. One of the reasons that a genuine believer in Christ can, have, uh, can struggle with doubt or a lack of assurance is because we have weak faith and doubt God's promises, right? When we fail to take, God's, to take God at His word, we will lack assurance. When we question whether or not God has truly forgiven us, when He has truly made us righteous, whether He is truly powerful to save us, whether He genuinely loves us, we will struggle with the assurance of salvation. When we believe that salvation depends on my ability to perform or our ability to perform, friends, we will struggle with the assurance of salvation. Why? Because none of us will ever perform in a way that can earn us salvation. None of us. So when we don't take God at His word, when we doubt His promises, we will, in, in turn then, we will struggle with the assurance of salvation. So what do we do? Well, we need to examine ourselves to see where our beliefs are wrong and where we're doubting God. I mean, God's word is very clear that He has freely and fully justified us in Christ through faith in Christ given by His grace. God's word declares that salvation is God's work. That He is sovereign over it. In John 10, He never loses any that are His own. Right? God's Word says that we're saved by His grace alone. Not because of our works. By His grace alone. Ephesians chapter 2. Now, one of the reasons that we doubt God's promises is because we don't know God's Word well enough. We don't know God's Word well enough. We haven't spent time searching God's Word out. We haven't spent time reading it or meditating on it. Now, this isn't to say that we haven't heard some of these truths, but they've all come secondhand, right? You can sit in a pew for years and you can hear something over and over again, but if you don't embrace it for yourself, if you don't seek it out, if you don't hold on to it for yourself, it's just secondhand. One of the reasons we struggle with doubt is because we don't meditate on and personally embrace and appropriate the truth of God? And the answer to this is clear. Just know God's word, right? There's no excuse for any of us who are in Christ, who are indwelled by the Spirit of God, that we should not be able to look at the truth, 
read it, meditate on it, and embrace it. Okay? That's an easy fix, friends. Just immerse yourself in the Word of God. However, I recognize that even though uh, that is a clear tool for us, some of us still struggle with the assurance of salvation. And friends, another reason why we doubt God's Word and struggle with the assurance of salvation is because of spiritual warfare. Right? Satan is our enemy. He is the author of confusion. He is the father of lies. He wants us to doubt God. In fact, he aims his fiery arrows to cause doubt in us. So what do we do? Well, we take the shield of faith. We take the shield of faith, which is given to those who are in Christ. And we extinguish those fiery doubt-inducing darts that Satan would seek to shoot towards us. And friends, this isn't some mystical thing. You know, it's not like you're just walking around all the time with this invisible shield, like Captain America, and you're just kind of there. That's not what it is. The shield of faith is in conjunction with the Word of God, with the promises of God, with the truth of God. So we know the truth of God, we reflect on the truth of God, we remember the truth of God, and we wear then the shield of faith. So that when Satan accuses us, when Satan lies to us, when Satan seeks to cause doubt in us, We say that's not what God's word says. And we extinguish those doubts, those darts. Well, there's a third reason that our hearts may condemn us. And this is because of unrepentant sin in our lives. If there is unrepentant sin in your life, then you may be lacking the assurance of salvation. If you've lived, uh, if you profess to be a Christian, but you've been going in a different direction, in an in a unrighteous direction for some period of time, it's likely that you are now struggling with the assurance of salvation. In fact, John Calvin writes, No one can have genuine assurance before God if the Holy Spirit has not produced a life of love. And I would add to that obedience, right? And, and here's the thing, friends. None of us in this room is immune to sin. None of us has this force field around us that keeps all sin and all temptation out. That's not how it works. So, if that's true, then it's also true that some of Satan's accusations against you will be true. So he'll point a finger and say, look what you did. You lied. You cheated. You lusted. You stole. You were gossiping. You have bitterness in your heart. And it's true. But just because the accusation is true doesn't mean the implication of the accusation is true. Because Satan would say, you've done this thing, you must not be a Christian. You've done these things, God must not love you. You've done these things, you've gone way too far, and frankly, uh, you're beyond the reach of God's grace. That's what he's going to say. The accusation doesn't just stop with what you've done because everyone in this room knows that we're all sinners, right? We've all messed up. We all mess up every day. The accusation is, you know what? A genuine Christian would never do something like that. So you must not be a genuine Christian. And God must not really love you. And you really have no hope. Well, friends, that's a lie. In fact, John's already dealt with that lie. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. He's telling us what to do with our sin. 
He says, when you sin, don't hide it. Don't deny it. Just confess it. Just confess it. If you confess your sin, he is faithful. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. Don't hide it. Don't deny it. Listen, God knows. So if our hearts condemn us, and in examining ourselves, we see that we are actually seeking to live for the glory of God in obedience and love, then what do we do secondly? We trust God's promises. We trust God's promises. Isn't that what John's saying in verse 20 there? God is greater than our hearts and He knows all things. God is greater. He knows all things. Now hear me. Again, we're not immune to sin. We struggle. We mess up. We hurt people. We hurt people that we love. We live like fools at times. And guess what? God knows this. And He died to save sinners. He didn't die to save righteous people. There are no righteous people. He died to save sinners. Sins in the past, sins today, sins in the future, all taken care of through the blood of Jesus at the cross of Calvary. Forever. This is our hope. In Christ we're made righteous. Satan's accusations don't sway God because God already knows our failures. And more importantly, He knows Jesus' perfection. And here's the thing. Ultimately, our salvation rests not in our own works, not in our own obedience, not in our own love, but in Christ, in His work, in His obedience, in His love. Our feelings, friends, are subjective, but atonement in Jesus Christ is objective. It's complete and it's ultimate. Now, our feelings of assurance are tied to our love and obedience, but assurance is ultimately only found in Jesus Christ. So, while genuine Christians can experience uh, false despair and false worry, and that's a real thing and it's not a good thing, what John is telling us is to trust God's promise. He's telling you today, if you're struggling with this assurance of salvation, to trust God's promise. Promises. Yes, examine yourself. Examine yourself, but trust God's promise. Let me tell you something that's more dangerous. What's more dangerous is for someone who is not a Christian to have false assurance, to have false confidence, to have false hope. This is dangerous. The second question we ask today is this What shall we do when our hearts don't condemn us? What shall we do when our hearts don't condemn us? First, again, we examine ourselves. We examine ourselves. So we feel at ease. We feel at peace. We think everything's great. What do we do? We examine ourselves. Right? This is the mindset of the world. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we die. Peace, peace. But guess what, friends? Apart from Christ, there is no peace. Now, I don't want anyone in this room who is a genuine believer to doubt their salvation or to doubt their standing with God. That said, I want us to recognize that there are countless people in this world who profess to know God. Who profess saving faith in Christ, but do not genuinely know Him. They have confidence, they have assurance before God, but they shouldn't. Why? 
but they shouldn't. J.D. Greer, in his book, Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart, cites a 2011 Barna study estimating that 50 or nearly 50% of all Americans have asked Jesus into their hearts at some point in their lives. Nearly 50% goes on, goes on. But rarely do they ever attend church, read the Bible, or have lifestyles that have any significant difference from those outside the church. So 50% claim to be Christians. But there's nothing in their life that would back that up. Or very little in their life that you could say, oh, that looks like someone who might be a follower of Jesus Christ. That looks like someone who might be seeking to live for the glory of God. The call to examine ourselves is biblical. Paul calls us to examine ourselves. He writes to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are of the faith. See, the truth is this. Sin is deceitful. And Satan wants to keep us blinded to the light of the glory of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The author of Hebrews indicates that our hearts can become easily calloused and deceived by sin. He's writing to a church. He's writing to people who are on the brink of throwing a towel in on their, on their faith because they're just not sure if they want anymore because the persecution is so bad. And he says, listen, don't stop meeting together and encouraging one another every day because your hearts can be calloused and deceived by sin. Friends, just as an addict lives like life like everything's okay, in denial, there are many who are spiritually dead but are living life like everything's okay. And friends, they're in denial. So how do we examine ourselves? Well, the primary way that John is pointing us to is faith. Look at verse 22, if you will. I'll start in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because He, we keep His commandments and do what He pleases. Verse 23, And this is His commandment, that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded. Right? So the primary indicator, the primary test is faith. It's saving faith. Have we put our hope in Jesus Christ alone? Who is Jesus the God who saves. The Lord who saves. The Lord is salvation. Are we living for the glory of the Lord who saves? Now, it's clear why John would have wrote this. We've been talking about the Gnostic influence throughout this study in 1 John. How they denied that Jesus was fully man. They denied that he was fully God, excuse me, that he was a man. He couldn't be fully God. The, it must have been that the Spirit of God adopted him in his baptism and left him at his crucifixion. So it wasn't really God who became flesh, and it really wasn't God who died on the cross. They denied the blood atonement. So John is saying, look, if you want to know if you're a believer, the primary test is faith. Do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Are you genuinely trusting? Have you banked your life on Jesus Christ and who he is. And friends, we all know that professions of faith are easy. We all know that it's easy to say we believe something. 
In fact, John is pointing us to this at the end. uh, Well, verse 18, right? He says, if you say you love, if you see someone who, who needs help and you have the ability to help, but you choose to close your heart to that need, then how can the love of God be in you? You can profess something, but that doesn't make it true necessarily. What does verse 18 say? Little children, let us not love in word or talk. Let it not just be a profession. Don't just say you believe, but in deed and in truth. The question is, do you believe? Not do you say you believe or have you ever asked Jesus in your heart, but do you believe? And if you believe, what John is telling us here is that it will show that there will be a pursuit of Christ, that there will be obedience, that there will be love. No one is perfect. But to believe in the name of the Son of God is to walk in the light and not in the darkness. To believe in the name of the Son of God is to live in love and not in hatred. To believe in the name of the Son of God is to practice the truth and not deceit. The children of God are discernible. And we are called to walk the walk that we claim to be walking after Christ. And friends, none of this depends on our own ability. I can't stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to try really hard today and I'm going to love really good today and I'm going to obey really well today. And I can say that, but none of that makes a difference because we're not talking about things that we're capable of doing in our own strength and our own power. What we need is the spirit of God to live in us and to work through us. This is what John is saying there in verse 24. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given to us. This is our hope, the spirit of God. The Spirit of God who lives in us. The Spirit of God who empowers us. The Spirit of God who leads us to love and to obey. And all of this leads to confidence to approach God in prayer. That's what verse 22 is about. Whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do what pleases Him. So the second point here is this. What do we do when our hearts don't condemn us? Have confidence before God. Have confidence before God. Now, we're going we're gonna to look at verse 22 much more closely when we get to chapter 5, verse 13 and following, because John's going to pick up the same topic there of prayer and receiving from God. But based on verse 22, we can conclude that a life of love and obedience is connected to answered prayers. A life of love and obedience is connected to answered prayers. Not so much in the sense that when we love or obey, we're earning God's favor and meriting the answer to our prayers. Not that at all. However, I think what John is saying is that when we approach God uh, in love and obedience, we have assurance that he is hearing and answering prayer. And the opposite would be the same as well. If our lives are characterized by disobedience and lovelessness, then we will lack the confidence to approach God in prayer. We'll have no assurance. Listen, we only approach God with confidence because of the finished work of the great high priest because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. So our obedience does not obligate God to answer our prayers, but our pursuit of God does give us confidence to approach him It forms the motivation and likely even the content of our 
prayers. So, as I draw this all to a close, there's one more thing. Right, the final response that we as followers of God, of Jesus Christ, have in light of the fact that our hearts are not condemned or our hearts are condemned, for whatever the reason, if we are genuinely in Christ, our response is to worship. Our response is to come before Him and to humble ourselves and to worship the King of Kings. Why? Because He is the God who took on flesh. And He is the God who accomplished our salvation. When we were guilty of rebellion against Him, Jesus made the way to reconciliation and peace with God. So we celebrate. We celebrate this Advent season and we know that everything hinges on this God who took on flesh. This God who became one of us. This God who lived perfectly and then died a sinner's death on the cross in our place. So that we might know Him. Have forgiveness of sin. And the hope of eternal life. Now in just a moment I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to encourage you uh, as we sing to respond in worship. Now there may be some people in here who don't know Jesus Christ. But you want to. You want to know the God who saves. And if you'll come forward, we'll explain to you the gospel and how you can know forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. There will be some in here who are new Christians and you say, I want to be baptized. I want to share with the church what God is doing in my life. And there may be some in here who want to become a member of this church. Maybe you've been through the membership process or maybe you just want to know more about it. Will you come at, that, at this point and will you allow us to share with you how you can become a member here? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness and your love and your mercy. Thank you for attending to our needs, our great needs, Lord. Our spiritual needs and our physical needs. Thank you for your great mercy that's extended to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for salvation. Will you help us? Will you change us? Will you make us like Jesus? For your glory. Amen. Would you stand?